May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today we are concluding this series of sermons on Simon Peter, the faithful but flawed disciple of Jesus Christ. Over the course of this series, we've seen how Simon is really the the second most important person throughout the gospel stories, second only to Jesus, spoken of about 200 times in the gospels. In many ways, Peter's presence shines a light on Jesus. In that, some of the things that he says, some of the things that he does, requires a response from Jesus. And as Jesus responds, we learn more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But his presence does more than that. It gives us somebody that we can relate to. I mean, Peter is not perfect. And we see that in the stories. There are times where, like Peter, we keep our eyes upon Jesus and we discover grace sufficient for every need. But There are times where we take our eyes off of Jesus and soon we are struggling. There are times, like Peter, when we proclaim that Jesus is our Lord. But then there are other times where we want to make certain that we make him into what we want him to be for us. There are times, like Peter, where we're certain that we'll stay with Jesus to the end and then other times where we live as if we don't really even know him. In many ways... Peter's story is our story. Now, up to now, we've been focusing on the stories of Peter found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those stories represent a three-year period of time, just three years. After Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter lives for about 34 more years. So there's a whole lot more to his story that can be said, far more than I can do in a 20-minute sermon. But we're going to pick up on some of the highlights of the rest of his story by focusing on the book of Acts. The book of Acts, which follows the four Gospels, tells of the birth of the church and the early history of the church. It begins in chapter 1, with the disciples standing before the risen Lord one last time, the last time Jesus appears to them. And he says to them that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's kind of like their job description. They're going to be his witnesses here And going out from here further and further and further until the ends of the earth. After Jesus tells them that, he ascends into heaven. And with exception of two times when Jesus appears to Paul, that's the last time we see Jesus in the New Testament and in the book of Acts. And so the spotlight in the book of Acts begins to shift slightly off of Jesus and then onto the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes front and center then through the rest of the book of Acts 
as the Spirit empowers the disciples, comes upon them with great power, equipping them and giving them authority for their ministry. In Acts chapter 2, we see the disciples waiting for the coming of this Holy Spirit upon them. And when the Spirit does come, it comes with great power, and with great authority. The way Luke, the author of Acts, describes it, it comes like wind with tongues of fire. And as the Spirit comes upon them, the disciples find themselves moved to go out into the streets of Jerusalem, the very place that a little bit more than seven weeks before, crowds of people had shouted to crucify Jesus. And now the disciples go out onto those very streets and they start proclaiming Jesus crucified, risen from the dead. In Acts chapter 2, we hear Peter's first sermon. Filled with the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, his sermon is powerful. So powerful that we hear by the end of chapter 2 that 3,000 people who heard that sermon came to believe in Jesus that day. And on that day, the church was born. Now, the Spirit didn't just come upon Peter giving him authority to preach. It also came upon him with great power to do some of the things that Jesus himself had done while still on earth. Things like heal people. And so in chapter 3, we hear the first story of a healing where Peter is involved. We're going to pause for a moment now and uh, hear that story. So, Paul, will you read from us from Acts chapter 3? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping, and praising God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Paul. So I love that story. Peter says, we have no silver or gold to give you, but we'll give you what we have. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. He takes his hand. And the man feels strength coming back into his legs. And I love how the scene ends with the man jumping and leaping for joy as he's praising God. But that's not the end of the story. Because this happens right at the gate of the temple. Lots of people were coming. Lots of people saw what had happened. And so crowds started to form around the man and around Peter. 
And Peter took him off to the side, a place called Solomon's Porch there in the temple. And there he started preaching. Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And more people came to believe. And that's what these stories of miracles did. They opened up the opportunity for preaching and for people to come to the faith. There were lots of these kinds of stories that are told early in the book of Acts. After Paul, Saul, oversees the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, disciples started moving outside of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. Remember the job description? Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They started moving out to Judea and Samaria. Peter went to the town of Lydda in Judah, Judea. There he encountered a man who had been paralyzed for eight years. Peter healed him. While in Lydda, he got word from a neighboring town in Joppa that a very faithful woman named Dorcas in Greek Tabitha had died. She was a devout Christian woman. And so Peter goes to Joppa, 12 miles away, to see Tabitha. By the time he arrives, Tabitha's body is being prepared for burial. But when Peter sees her, he says to her, Tabitha, wake up. And she comes back to life. And we heard stories of Jesus doing that sort of thing, bringing Lazarus back to life. But now Peter is doing the very things that Jesus himself had done, restoring people to life. In fact, the scriptures say that he was so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that it was like spilling out of him, that people would just get close to him. And simply by being close to him, they'd be healed. Just getting in his shadow was enough for them to be healed. Now, these miraculous stories are quite dramatic. We don't often see such dramatic stories today. But remember, the stories that we hear from the earliest days of the church were at a time when the church was a fledgling church. And these miraculous stories opened the opportunities to proclaim Christ crucified and risen, and from that for the church to grow. So they're very important in the growth of the early church. They're a part of our story. But now having said that, we certainly know that miracles still do happen. I mean, we have our own stories of miracles that have taken place within the lives of people in our own church, confirming for us that the same Holy Spirit that was at work in Peter's life 2,000 years ago continues to be at work in our lives for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. By the time we get to Acts chapter 10, there is a transforming moment for Peter. Up until then, he's preaching, he's healing, people are coming to the faith, and up until then, his focus was on Jews, bringing them into the faith. But Jesus' job description was to go to all the earth, to everyone. And that had yet to happen, really. 
But then comes Acts chapter 10, this transforming moment. While Peter is in Joppa, a nearby town of Caesarea, 35 miles north, there's a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion, part of the elite fighting force of the Roman Empire, but a very devout man of prayer. And one day when he was in prayer, he had a vision. And in the vision, he heard the Lord say to him, Cornelius, you have found favor with God. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to send some men to Joppa to find Peter, bring him back to your home, and then listen to what Peter has to say. And so that's what Cornelius does. He sends men to Joppa. Meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter is at the home of Simon the Tanner on his roof praying. And as he's praying, Peter has a vision. And his vision is a strange vision. Some of you remember this vision. I've talked about it many times. How suddenly Peter saw what appeared to be like a giant sheet descending out of heaven. And on the sheet were animals and reptiles and birds of every kind, which means there were aardvarks and there were Gila monsters and there were pigeons. And then Peter hears a word from the Lord as God says to him, so Peter, go ahead, eat. Peter's response was, oh, no, Lord, I could never eat that. My lips have never touched anything unclean. That's what he said. And that was the wrong answer. How dare you call unclean what I have made clean? Now go ahead, eat, eat, eat. And then the giant sheet ascended back up into heaven and disappeared. At that moment, the men that Cornelius had sent arrived. And they invited Peter to go with them back to Caesarea. And so Peter goes, and the next thing we see, Peter is at the home of Cornelius. Cornelius, a Gentile. All the people in that home, Gentiles. And here comes Peter, the Jew, into this home. And suddenly he understands the vision and everything that is happening. He finally understands it. And with that, we're going to pause and we're going to listen to what happens next from the book of Acts. Paul, will you read for us? We have two readings from chapter 10 of the book of Acts. The first, Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And the second, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, now I understand, Peter said. He realized that his whole life he had been wrong. 
he had been wrong in thinking that that only he and his other Jewish brothers and sisters were the ones favored by God. He'd been wrong about the Gentiles, that they had no favor of God. Now I understand, he says, God shows no partiality. But all people of every nation who fear the Lord, who have reverence for the Lord, are accepted by God. All people are loved by God. And this is a very transforming moment for Peter. A very transforming moment because it's this moment that then opens up the Christian movement to the Gentiles. It's from this moment on in the book of Acts that the focus goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, out now to the ends of the earth. A very transforming moment for the church as Peter came to this realization. And it's an important realization for all of us. It's a scary one because it challenges our theologies. It causes us to have to question things that we've always believed about who's an insider and who's an outsider, about who is acceptable to God and who is not acceptable to God. It challenges us and our theology, what we think we've always believed. A very, very important story to the church and to us. Here at Desert Spring, we say all are welcome and all means all. That comes from this story in Acts chapter 10. That all are welcome and all means all. All people are loved by God. Acceptable to God. That's a part of who we are as a church. And you know that because I preach on that pretty often. In fact, I preached in this very story earlier this year. But there's a part of this story that often gets overlooked. One that I haven't really talked about for quite some time. Did you notice how the Holy Spirit was at work in this story? Did you notice how the Holy Spirit was at work in the life of Cornelius in Caesarea? And at the same time, the Holy Spirit was at work in Peter in Joppa. The Holy Spirit was at work in two different places at the same time. And did you notice that the Holy Spirit had a plan to bring those things together? That's the way the Holy Spirit works in this world. Holy Spirit can work in one place and at the same time in another place with a plan to bring those things together. And when those things come together, something powerful can happen. I mean, we experience that all the time. We've experienced it here in our own church as part of the story of how we even were able to build a sanctuary at the lowest point in the downturn of the economy. The ways the Spirit was at work in so many places at the same time. Sometimes I wonder if that's what's happening right now with all the talk we have around Sandy Valley. You all know where Sandy Valley is? It's 50 miles from here on the other side of Mount Potosi. A community of about 2,500 people. There are some folks who live there who are in poverty and there, is no, there are no social services available. There is a community, uh, there's a, there is a group of humble people there who want to do good for those who are in need. 
And we can see the Holy Spirit at work in their lives as they seek to do good for people who are in need. But at the same time that the Holy Spirit's at work out there, I have seen the Holy Spirit at work in this place, in the life of Olivia Watson, who is in charge of Sacks for Souls, who one day said, we want the food to go out to Sandy Valley. 400 bags of groceries and the stories that we heard of people who were without food and this food coming at just the right time. Things come together. Miracles start to happen. Meanwhile, we have other folks in our church who continue to talk about Sandy Valley and what might come next. And, and I don't know, I don't know when what God is doing in Sandy Valley and what the Spirit's doing here in our church, I don't know when those two things are going to converge. I don't know how they're going to converge. I don't know what the plan is, what God has in store for us. What I do know is that when God is at work in two places and brings those two things together, something powerful and wonderful always happens. I know that. And so I know we do well to pay attention to the movement of the Spirit in our midst to see what it is that God holds for us next. Well, back to Peter. Peter continued to proclaim Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And as he preached, attention was drawn to him. Some of the folks who did not like Jesus decided they didn't like Peter. And by the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, Peter is arrested for the first time that quickly. He finds himself being taken in front of the Sanhedrin, the very people before whom Jesus stood, the exact same people who saw to it that Jesus would be put to death. Peter was taken before them. And they, they knew that Peter was growing in popularity, and so they decided to be cautious. So they simply told him to keep his mouth shut. That's my translation of it. What they actually said was, we forbid you to talk about Jesus. We forbid you to talk about him. And I love what Peter says. What Peter says is, how you respond to the work of God in your life is your problem. My translation. <laughs> but for me... I refuse to stop talking about what I have seen. I refuse to stop talking about what I have seen, what I know. And he did not stop. He kept talking about it. He was so excited about what he had experienced in Christ Jesus that he could not help but tell people about it. He couldn't help but tell people. I mean, do you ever get that excited about something where you just can't help yourself? You got to tell somebody. Sometimes those things happen to us in little ways that aren't really that important in the grand scheme of things. I remember a couple of years ago when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series for the first time in 108 years. As a fourth generation Chicago Cubs fan, I was excited. I couldn't help but talk about it. Even to my Cleveland Indian friends whose team had lost, I had to say something. Sometimes we have those moments when it comes to family. 
the birth of a child. For those of us who are grandchildren, the birth of a grandchild. We start talking a little bit about them. And then what happens next? Out comes the picture. Here's a picture of Truman, our youngest grandchild. Let's put that picture up. He had just eaten spaghetti for the first time in his life, or at least tried to eat it for the first time in his life. And how do you not get excited and share that with folks, right? Okay, you can pull that down. But I pray, I pray that our faith is that important to us. That our faith is that important to us that we just have to talk about it. Not that all of us will be evangelists, that's a gift for some. But all of us have stories that we can tell about the ways that God is at work in our lives. And I just pray that for each and every one of us, there is a sense of excitement that grows up within us about the things that God is doing that we just need to be able to say, to share with somebody. Maybe it's as simple as sharing the excitement that you have about our own church. Did you know that in a recent poll, 60% of unchurched people, 60% of unchurched people said that if they were invited to church by somebody they respected, they might very well go. 60% of unchurched people said if they were invited by somebody they respected, they might go. I just pray that we have this sense of excitement about what God is doing in our lives and in our church and that we need to find those opportunities to talk about it, to share it with other people. Certainly, Peter kept sharing it with other people. And he got arrested more times. He got beaten. But he survived. He survived it. And he lived to be around my age, maybe a little older, maybe even into his early 70s. The year was 64. Nero was the emperor of Rome. He arranged to have some buildings in the old part of town burned to the ground as a part of a plan that he had to rebuild Rome and revitalize the economy of the Roman Empire. The fire got out of control. It burned a whole lot of Rome. Folks in the area started blaming Nero for the fire. And so Nero started telling lies. He started telling people that it was Christians who set the fire and burned their city. And then he sanctioned the first ever state-organized persecution of Christians. Christians were arrested. They were thrown to the lions. They were burned at the stake. Peter and Paul were both arrested. Around the year 65, both of them ended up in prison in Rome. Maybe even the same dungeon at a similar time. Paul was beheaded. It was the most civil of the deaths during the persecutions, probably because Paul was a Roman citizen. Peter was ordered to be crucified. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened with Peter at his death. But as early as the second century, just a couple of generations later, stories were being told about how Peter died. And we have no reason not to believe those stories. 
in those stories we hear that Peter said to those who sentenced him that he was not worthy to die the same death that his Lord had died. And so he asked to be crucified upside down. And he was crucified upside down. And he died. Peter, this man who once had denied even knowing Jesus out of fear, became a martyr for the faith. The rock upon which the church was built. And I'm so thankful for Peter and his life and the example that he gives to us. So very thankful. In many ways, we're his legacy, born out of the proclamation of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And out of that transforming moment when he realized that all people are favored by God, that you are favored by God, and that I am favored by God. And thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Amen.